0: We're going to read the Scriptures this morning, and we're reading, continuing to read in the Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we're at chapter 3 and reading from verse 12. So let's hear God's Word for us. It's on the screen if you want to follow it. Not that I've already obtained all this All of us us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen, and thanks be to God. And then I'm going to read again from the Gospel of Mark, another story of a blind man. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. There he had spit on the man's eyes. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we ask this morning as we come to your word, as we come to think about what Paul wrote all those years before, that by your Holy Spirit, you would inspire us to press forward today. Oh Lord, bless us and heal us. Change us and transform us. By your spirit we ask. Amen. Athletes running down a track of 400 meters round the final bend and suddenly one of the runners is pushed and he falls from the track. He stumbles. But just when you think he's out of the game, he gets back on his feet. By sheer force of determination, he catches up with the other runners. He pushes on past them to the finish line. The scene is from Chariots of Fire. The runner who stumbled was Eric Little. I wonder what we might have done at that point, literally falling, not the last hurdle, but the last bend. Would we have simply stopped, admitted defeat? Would we have had anger that somebody has knocked us over and we have lost our place? Or would we, like Eric little have the focus, the dedication to push on and to see it to the finish? That's an image from Chariots of Fire, but it's also the image that Paul is using here in Philippians as towards the end of this letter, he is encouraging the Philippians to push on, to keep going. There are two key thoughts that we need to hold on to if we're going to grasp this as we go through Philippians, and it's this. Jesus has come. That's the center of everything that Paul is saying in that hymn in chapter 2 where he talks about Jesus giving up all his his glory and then being raised up again. Jesus came, and despite being God, he humbled himself. He became a human being. He was obedient to his Father. He died on a cross for us, and that's the center of the gospel. Jesus died in my place and therefore I am forgiven and I am given a new relationship with the Father. And as we were saying just two weeks ago we were looking at this last, that gives me immense security. It's not about how religious I am or how hard I work or how hard I try. I have no fear. I have no anxiety because my salvation doesn't depend on me It depends on what Jesus has done in his perfect obedience. So I don't have to worry, am I good enough? I don't have to worry, have I done enough? I don't have to worry, have I deserved God's love? Because it's been given to me. That's what it means to be a Christian. But one of the things that the New Testament wrestles with at different points is this there's a danger. And the danger is this, that I can sit back now and say, well, that's it. I'm a Christian. That's it. It's fantastic. I've got it all. I've got the assurance that I, am, I, I belong to God and I'm, I'm, I'm fine and I, I, my future is secure. When I die, I'm going, I'm going to go and I'm going to be with Him. And therefore, I can continue being the nasty, horrible, selfish, bad-tempered person I am right now because it won't make any difference. I can spend all my time having a good time here. I can spend all my time on the things that I'm interested in. I can obsess with all the things that I like. Of course, that's not what Paul is saying at all, is it? Remember chapter 1, verse 6, that key verse that we said, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. The plan that God had from the beginning of time wasn't just to save you. That wasn't enough. He also wants to transform you so that you become like his son. There are three... I should have made those bigger, shouldn't I? I'll learn. There are three key theological ideas. Now, I'm just going to give you three bits of theology here. Um, before we move on. Three key words, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, these are three big words for fairly simple ideas, really. Justification is what Jesus did for us on the cross. We are put right with God. That's the basis of the beginning of our salvation. Sanctification is what God is continuing to do in me and you now, to make us the people that he wants us to be, to make us holy. And glorification is what God will do, finally, when he perfects us, when we are in his new creation without sin, without selfishness, without fear. Three things, the past, the present, and the future. And what Paul begins by saying in this chapter, in in this passage that we've read, he says, not that I've already obtained all this. He's just talked about the fact that Jesus has died for him. All his works, all his religion don't count. It's simply knowing Jesus. And then he says, not that I have already obtained all of this. I've not achieved my goal, but I press on. If we were to summarize this, what Paul says is, I'm not perfect, but he has the humility to know that. I um, always worry about the phrase, I'm not perfect. In one sense, as Christians, it's a key thing to realize that we remain sinful people. We are not perfect. There is a lot that's wrong with us. And we, as Christians, of all people, should be aware of that. That's why Christians should be humble. Sometimes Christians do think that they're better than everybody else. But we should be the most humble people. Because as we spend time with Jesus, we are more and more aware of our own imperfections. We're more and more aware of our own sin. But the problem with that expression, I'm not perfect, is people, you'll you'll, you'll know folk do this, they use it as an excuse. They do something wrong and someone rebukes them and says, I'm not perfect. And what they mean is, well, that's all right then, isn't it? That's okay. We're, we're just, that's just who I am. And we use it like an excuse. I, I, I hear people saying it all the time. You I'm just a cynic. As if, well, that's just who I am. We can't change. can't help. It, it's not my fault. I'm just lazy. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just a bit of a gossip. Or we say it about other folk. That's just what they're like. As if that made the sin all right because that's just who we are and we can't change. What a depressing idea that I would be a certain way and I couldn't be changed, I couldn't be transformed. Well, the good news is God wants to do something about it. We need to understand that the sin that is in our lives, that we repent of every day, is not God's intention for us. He wants to transform us. I press on to take hold of the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God has a purpose for you. He wants to transform your life that you would become more and more like his son. When we heard that call of Jesus to follow him, it wasn't just follow me by going to church and believing certain things and doing certain things. To follow Jesus is to follow in the footsteps of what he does. It is to learn to love as Jesus loved, to care as Jesus cared, to speak as Jesus spoke, to heal as Jesus healed, to be the type of person that we see in the gospel. What was Jesus like? Well, we know that because we can read it in chapter 2. He was humble. He put other people before himself. He was obedient. He was sacrificial in his living. And chapter 2 says that we should have that same mindset in us. Now, yes, we know that in this life we'll never be perfect. We'll never get there. But nevertheless, we need to have that determination. Question that I often ask congregations to think about is this, though Do we want to change? Or have we got so content with the sin in our lives, with the selfishness in our lives, that we are actually resisting the God who wants to transform us? Paul says this this is what I do. This is my secret forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead. You see, what is behind? What is behind for us is a whole load of heart, isn't it? It's a whole load of failure. It's a whole load of trying to be a different person. It's a whole load of things that we have failed at. It's a whole load of sin. But what the gospel tells us is that we can know that that's forgiven. It can release us to get up and run on. And allow God to start working in us again. And yes, we're going to fall again. Yes, we're going to stumble again. Yes, we're going to do it. You know what? We're going to do it today. (laughs) In fact, you'll do it before you leave the church. You'll think something you shouldn't have thought. Or say something you shouldn't have said. That's the nature of it. But we can be forgiven. And that means we can leave what is behind. And we can keep pressing forward. Allowing God to work in us. And transform us. It is a long-term project that God is invested in. We sometimes think that things have to happen like that. And God says, no, I invested my son in you, and I am going to keep working on you. You are my long-term project. I love the story of John Newton. Um, Let me just remind you, if you don't know the story, John Newton was a man who left home, went to sea, And lived, as a young man, a a very desolate, a, a, a very debauched life, really. He was a rough sailor. There was alcohol, there was profanity, there was godlessness. And he became a sailor on a slave ship, doing the slave trade, back in the 1700s. It was a life of rebellion against everything his parents had taught him, everything he'd been brought up to believe. He was living for himself. And it was during a storm at sea that he had a conviction of God. And John Newton became a Christian. Not only that, he felt God's hand in his life and he began to understand that Jesus had died for his forgiveness and that he could be transformed. And he went on to change his life. God did a work in him. Newton went on to become a preacher, a pastor, a hymn writer, someone full of the joy of what Jesus had done in transforming him. And he went on and wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace. You know the words? Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But it goes on to say more than that. It goes on to say, It's grace has seen me thus far, and grace will see me home. That sense of God still doing a great work in him. Now that part of the story you may know, but here's something that I only learned a little while ago. 30 years passed. Newton was preaching Newton was him writing. Newton was telling everybody the good news of the gospel. And it was only 30 years later that he suddenly stopped and realized not just that he'd been personally living a bad life before, but slavery was wrong. It it hadn't sunk into him of the evil and the oppression and the horror of the trade that he'd been involved in. He was 30 years a Christian before God put his finger on that in his life and said, you need to repent of that. And Newton was convicted a second time. And Newton went on to become an advocate for the abolition of slavery in the latter part of his life. Why do I tell you that story? Because there's a man who'd come to know Jesus Christ. His life had been changed in many ways, but he had that sense in his life that God was still doing something in him. God was still pointing things out to him. God is still at work. And God is still at work in each and every one of us. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hoped to be in another world, but I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul, in this passage, goes on to give some practical advice. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Now, there are sometimes things that Paul writes where you think, what? What? Imagine me saying this morning to you, well, if you want to know how to live, folks, just follow my example. One or two of you, particularly my wife and daughter, would be sitting there thinking, like I right? <laughs> what a big head. What, what, what an arrogant guy. But actually, note that Paul, the preacher, has just finished saying, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not perfect. I'm just struggling to move on each day, leaving behind what's behind and pressing on. And I think that's what Paul is really saying here. He's saying my example, not in, oh, I'm perfect, follow me, because he's just said the opposite, but rather in my striving for Jesus. Follow that example. And he's going on to talk about examples to one another keep our eyes on those who live as we do you see we all have people who influence us in our families in our friends in the people we look up to in the people we hang out with there are folk that we allow to influence us because we might not admit it but we look at their lives and wish I was a bit more like them I had a wee bit more of what they've got. But here's the question. As you hang out with people like that, as you you reflect on folk that are around you, it shapes who you are. It shapes who you try to be. It shapes where your goal is, the direction of your life and your travel. If you want to have a heart for justice in the world, then you should spend time listening to, reading, reading, hanging out with people i have got a real heart for justice in the world because you'll begin to take on their passion. Do you notice that? If you've got friends that are, are, are really caring about the poor and the things that are around us, that it's infectious. And, and if you want to be really prayerful, if that's where you want to grow because you know you're not much good at it, spend some time with people who are prayerful. Let that influence you. Who do we spend time with? who do we allow to influence us? Think about that. Do we encourage each other to change? Or sometimes are we hanging out with the wrong people? People who influence us in the wrong ways. Paul speaks here in in verse 18 here, I've often told you before and I'll tell you again about those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. What's he talking about here? Well, remember chapter 2, he told us the story of the cross of Christ. Jesus was God. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus was obedient to his Father. Jesus sacrificed everything about himself for those that he loved. He gave himself, and God raised him up and gave him glory you see enemies of the cross of Christ are people who do the opposite and there's actually lots of them in the world they want glory right now and they're not interested in humbling themselves to get it they're not interested in putting others first that they might get it they're certainly not interested in obeying and and giving up their own control of their lives to get it and they certainly don't want to sacrifice they just want the good times now they just want what they want now and says Paul, their glory is their, their, God is their stomach. They're motivated by the things that give them pleasure. The nice house, the great experiences, the wealth, the secure position. The things that they want now that satisfy them. That's what they're motivated by. That's their glory. And it leads nowhere. It has no end eternal purpose to it. But you see... The honest reality is those people that are the opposite of the cross of Christ, opposite of the way of Jesus, are all around us. And and the honest reality of it is that sometimes that's me. I'm not living. I'm not even seeking to live the way that Jesus showed me at the cross. I'm living not humbly, not obediently, not sacrificially. I'm living for the stomach and for what I want and my motivations right now. And Paul says, don't let that shape you as you run this race. He then goes on to give us an image of what should be before us. Oop. I've lost the verse. I need to go back and find it. He talks about the glorious body of Jesus, Jesus who humbled himself, Jesus who was obedient, Jesus who was sacrificial. He says, this is what we should want. That's the glory that we should seek, to be like Jesus, to think of ourselves as different, motivated, going a different direction, allowing God to work in us, that we be transformed differently from this world. And this passage, he starts off by saying, we are people whose citizenship isn't here, It's a heavenly citizenship. Now we have to be quite careful what this means because what Paul isn't saying is, well, you know, this world can suck a little bit, but never mind. I've got a citizenship in heaven and one day I'm off. That's not quite what he's saying because he's talking about how we live now, isn't he? To understand what citizenship in heaven means here, we have to think a little bit about what citizenship meant to people in Philippi. You see, Philippi was in Greece, but it was a Roman colony. About a hundred years before Paul, the Emperor Augustus had won a big battle near Philippi, and he did a big army, and the last thing he wanted to do was to take all the soldiers back to Rome where they would cause trouble. So he settled them. He gave them land in and around Philippi, and it became a Roman colony. And even in Paul's day, Philippi was shaped by the fact that the people. A lot of the people had come from Rome. That's where they came from. They had Roman citizenship. They had Roman rights. They had Roman ways of living. And they were quite proud of that in Philippi. Now, that didn't mean that one day they wanted to all go and live in Rome. That's not what it meant at all. It wasn't that they were saying, it's rubbish in Greece, we can't wait to go to Rome. Our citizenship is somewhere else. That's not what it meant at all. What it meant was they would live in Greece but they would live differently because they were Romans. Get it? And it says it meant that they looked to the emperor as the guarantee of that. If they got into trouble, if some barbarians came and attacked their city, they would expect the emperor to come to their rescue. The emperor to come from Rome It wasn't that they wanted to go to Rome. He'd come from Rome as their savior with an army, and he would set them free. That's what it meant to be a Roman. The emperor was guaranteeing all of that. You see, as we live in the world today, we live as people who belong to Jesus. We have a savior. We are citizens of heaven. And that means that Jesus one day will return. It's not that so much Paul's stress isn't here that we will go to heaven. That's not the stress here so much as Jesus will come back to the earth. One day he will come again as Savior and he will transform this world. He will break down everything that is wrong. He will bring it under his control and he will transform us. Our glorification. Remember that last bit? Where we are perfected and made part of his delight And his pleasure. And that is our focus that Jesus Christ will one day transform us until we are like him. That's why we keep going. That's why we keep allowing God to work with us. That's why we keep forgetting what's behind and pushing on. We are not perfect yet, but someday he will do that. And therefore we live lives repenting of the past, eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing that we've got a Savior. And we have no need to worry, but allowing God to complete the good work that he has begun in us. Amen.